Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson, and this is The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo. The crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me here on The Crime Couch. It's going to be one heck of a journey. Last year, cybercrime cost us $33 billion in Australia, and it's impacting all of us. I thought I'd invite former Victoria Police Detective Chris McNaughton back onto the crime couch to give us his insider's point of view. Chris has worked in Victoria Police's CIB, TIG, sex crimes and cybercrime squads. He joined the corporate world and ran global investigations for GE before forming his own company, Secmon One. Chris specialises in fraud, corruption and cybercrime. Hi, Chris, and welcome back to The Crime Couch. Thanks, Rochelle. Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure. Let's start right at the top. How do you define cybercrime? Yeah, cybercrime has changed a lot over the years, but certainly it would be true to say now that it is a very wide thing. It's very organised at one end of the spectrum, and at the other end of the spectrum you've got lone people committing you know, a crime, you know, by themselves of the offshore or onshore. So it's a, it's a really wide thing, including state-sponsored uh, attacks as well. I think one of the things that interests me, Chris, is that we've been online for years. So what's driving this now? Why is this crime hitting us now? I think there's a few reasons for it, but one of the big drivers, I think, for it is that it's very low risk. So from an offshore perspective, if I'm in Eastern Europe or or Asia or wherever I might be, I can mount a really sophisticated attack, whether it's against individuals or corporations, and be very successful at it. It's very low cost and very low risk. And so when the option is run through a bank door and do a stick up or click the mouse a couple of times and do a fraud, I know which I'm going to choose. It's frightening to think of because it also seems to me that these perpetrators and offenders need to have specialist skills, or or is that not accurate? There's probably two spaces there, and if I go to the more unsophisticated attacks, so you might have uh, someone doing really simplistic stuff like eBay fraud or you know defrauding people in individual transactions. Then you might have, you know, you, you, you creep up a little bit in terms of expertise and you might have people who are, they're somewhat, um, they've got somewhat, uh, some knowledge in relation to in, uh, technology and they use things that they can read about really easily on Google or, or in various forums to commit frauds. You know, it might be a phishing attack or something like that. And right up the other end, you get very sophisticated and organised criminals who, it's an industry. You know, they have help desks, they have ticketing systems. Uh, It's really very sophisticated. But that's an industry and it's very big business. It's multi-millions of dollars in that space. First Optus had its databases hacked and then Medicare. What can you tell us? Why did these two organisations get hit and so strongly? There's a couple of things with those uh, which are interesting. I mean, without... Uh, delving too much into the, into the how it happened, but the, the why, 
And, and some of that why is around people and organisations holding way too much information. And so when you get organisations such as Optus, it's a, it's a massive beast of an organisation. We give our, all of our information to these organisations, whether it's passport numbers or licences or whatever it might be. And they will then hold them. And the, there's two issues with that. One is it's so complicated those organisations and their systems are so complicated that trying to work out where Rochelle's passport number is throughout that entire organisation, honestly, good luck trying to find it. And the second is, you know, who's got access to it? What are they doing with it? Um, so there's that space, you know, in, in terms of the actual information. But then data retention. How, why are they keeping that information so long? Why did they keep that person's information for 20 years when it probably should have been destroyed you know, 10 years ago? And, and the reason for that is uh, those, uh, as complicated as their information systems are, their processes around destroying information are equally as, as complex because you've got so many sign-offs to get destroy information. It's from a... I guess from a, a, a risk perception perspective, it's easier just to hang on to it, but that's not so great when it gets breached. I'm cynical enough to suggest that also they've learnt that there's a commercial imperative behind it. They can trade my personal information, they can get access. It's become lucrative and, and these organisations have understood that. that. That's very true. Information is worth a lot of money nowadays. You know whether we track people or we we want to market to them or or for whatever reasons, and I don't think you're too cynical in believing that because I, I think that's quite true. Um, but you know everything we know about privacy and 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 the regulations and so forth say that information should be uh, protected certainly, uh, but destroyed when it needs to be. Tell me more, Chris, about these cyber criminals. I mean, there's a perception that they're all, you know, Eastern European. Who are they? I mean, I know you can't tell me their names, etc. But where are they coming from? Where are they? Where are they sourced? And 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 who are they? So nowadays, um, any organised criminal or someone who's got a bit of a clue, and and some of these, when we say organised crime groups, it's typically groups, separate groups of people. So one group of people might be hiring out um, a server, oh, and I'll give you an example of that. So we were doing a, um, we, we run some f- website protection for, a, for a, a financial institution in Australia, and they had a phishing attack mounted on them. And, and in fact, they had a series of 26 phishing attacks over, over six weeks. And we got some tracking code on their website and we're able to track the crooks we're able to track where they were what they were doing with with the website data and watch them on their own machines actually which is what we were doing but interestingly when when we were watching where the website was hosted for this uh, Australian bank let's call it we delved into that server it was in the Seychelles it was just off the coast of Madagascar and there were 500 phishing sites on that server three of them were Australian and so we actually just notified those those um, those other banks uh, uh, that there was a live phishing attack, but there was another 497 of institutions around the world, and that just shows the the scale of it. And so that particular organisation, that that group of organised criminals there, what they were doing, that was their expertise. They would mount phishing attacks, and then they would use another group to get email addresses, and they would you know they would use they would work together. And there's a, it's a fee, they just pay a fee. 
And so these criminals do what they're very good at. They get together and they leverage the funds and so forth, and it's, it becomes you know, really very sophisticated. Is this really just another form of organised crime? It is. It's actually where the money is now. So, you know, we, we, we have seen integrations of drug trafficking, drug sales and cybercrime. They, they really do go together now. And, you know, crooks go where the money is, of course. And there's big, big money in and low risk, of course, in, in cybercrime. And so, you know, dr- we've seen drugs uh, funding cybercrime, various, various aspects of cybercrime, because it can be... Um, you know, to set th- some things up, you know, you want, it, want the right people and you want the right mindset and so forth. Um, but, but absolutely, it's, um, you know, we, that's what we see happening. Chris, it, it seems Australia's the pickings, certainly at the moment for cybercrime. Like, I don't know if it's just because of the publicity, because of these latest two big hacking cases involving Medicare and Optus, but... Is that an accurate perception? Where are our safeguards and how come they're not working? It's fair to say we've had a bad run, Rochelle, in the last few weeks, absolutely. We've had some really major, major uh, data breaches over the last few weeks. But we do see them offshore as well. You know, we've seen some really big ones um, with some other uh, big organisations and lots of data goes uh, goes missing. What's going wrong is is that, you know, people holding data for too long people not understanding what's happening with it. And, you know, there, there was a, a perception years ago, which, you know, thankfully is disappearing a little bit, that data breaches and, and cybercrime were all related to some external crook who was doing something. That's actually not, not quite accurate. You know, equally, in fact, probably there's more data breaches which result from people on the inside than from the outside. Now, that, uh, to put that in perspective, the vast majority of those are, are inadvertent. They're, they're non-malicious. They're people doing things, trying to do their job, doing the wrong thing for the right reason. That's what we call it. Um, but inadvertently causing a data breach. And we, we investigate these and, and help organisations with these types of things all of the time. You know, but we see um, where insiders aren't monitored and aren't, you know, aren't, aren't guided um, data breaches are, are you know a, a significant problem so the insider threat does that then leave it creates a loophole where other organized crime members or, or people that are hacking and that are more professional actually insert themselves is that what you're saying it, it can be but you know this typically you know the insider threat or the insider risk is people simply trying to do their job um, they need to get that document out or the board papers out and what they'll do is that they'll just send them out to a Gmail account or to Dropbox or they'll, they'll, they'll put them somewhere, they'll expose them. But it's also something as similar as, um, and what we've seen recently, where you've got a, you know, a, an administrator on a, on a system mm-hmm. working with production customer data and decides, you know what, I'll take that information and I'll put it in the development systems because it's easier to do that than make the data up and you know, simulate data. And then you've got it exposed to the outside. Now that can be, is that intentional or is it they're doing it for, you know, working with ex- external parties? Now we, we've seen both. We saw working with a, a, a share trading organisation um, a couple of years ago where we saw the lowest paid workers there who were the call centre operators, right? They've got access to a whole lot of information. The, the most valuable information actually was the customer information. And some of these 
people worked out that, hang on, if I get that information, pick certain customers, I can then change their details and then own their shares. And we found that, and it was elderly customers it was, which it was occurring to. And they were working with ex- external parties. They were working, working hand in hand with their organised crime. So it, it's a bit of both. So on one side, it's people acting inadvertently, you know, doing the wrong thing for the right reason. On the other side, it's it's targeted attacks. And honestly, we, we've seen only uh, two or three years ago, we saw a state-sponsored attack in a large organisation. I'm just trying to be careful what I'm saying here. They worked with uh, military technology and we saw them in the finance, the, the attacker in a finance arm. This was a person, a state-sponsored attack, and they put a person in the organisation. And while he was in the organisation, he was tunnelling into the other organisation. So, you know, there's a whole range of, of motivators there. And it's sometimes difficult when you look at an insider's activity to say, um, you know, is this a malicious attack or is this inadvertent? And you've, you know, this is where, I guess, detective skills come in. You've almost got to be able to look into someone's head, look at the context, the the activities around it to work out, is this a problem, a real problem, or is this someone just making a bit of a blue here? Very hard to gauge, and particularly for that military organisation, you've got someone who's actively burrowing into their activities and you'd imagine they would have gone through a number of checks. You don't get to work in an organisation such as that easily, do you? You don't. But you know, sometimes we see, uh, you know, you get you get a fresh fresh user, and educational institutions are a very good example of that. So we see sometimes state-sponsored um, attacks within those organisations. Now, some of our universities hold significant amounts of very very valuable research data, and we sometimes have seen you've got students coming in to do a one semester of study and it's merely to get the credentials to get in so they can log in. It's just an easy way to get in. And is that malicious? Is it not? Some of the activity says to me it is malicious and, and, and highly suspicious, but you know what, you really need to look at some of the, sometimes the patterns. One of the most interesting aspects of cybercrime are ransomware attacks, and that's where a crook steals your information and encrypts your data and demands a, re- a ransom. How rife is this, Chris? Ransomware is probably the, one of the most damaging uh, types of attacks against organisations at the moment, has been for the last couple of years. And the reason for that is a couple, a couple of reasons. One is it's really easy to mount that sort of attack. So say I wanted to uh, attack company X, I, I simply have to identify some people in that organisation, um, uh, compromise their computer, which is a matter of sending them a phishing email effectively, and once I've got that, you know, that what the crooks tend to do is then navigate through the organisation. And the pattern is, is often quite similar in, in terms of what they do. It'll start with, I will steal all that organisation's information. I'll give an example, actually, an engineering organisation we worked with um, a while ago. I'll steal all of their, in, uh, their information. And that was about 30 CAD drawings, highly technical drawings, very valuable. Stole them. Um, and then they got into their backup system and ruined their backup system so that it actually wasn't backing up their data, it was backing up nothing. So their backups are no good. They've got, they've stolen their data. And the third phase of it is they then encrypt the data on, on site. So you've got no backup, the crooks have got your data, you have no more data left, and then, and then you get the ransom. 
And so the ransoms can be significant. For that particular engineering company, that was business ending. That finished that business. Uh, they stole 30,000 uh, drawings and they had no copies of them. And they were, they were put in the unenvious position of hoping that the crooks would publish their documents, their, their files on the dark web so that they'd at least get something back. They didn't do it. They threatened to do it. They didn't do it. So they didn't pay the ransom. They got no drawings. The business was done. Terrible. Horrendous. What advice do you give to victims of ransomware attacks? Well, it's always better to be breach ready. We say be, you know, be ready for the breach because it may come. And so what that means is lower your attack surface, know where your data is, know where your customer data is, make sure you know who's accessing it, make sure you've got you know, appropriate backups and you're testing all of that sort of, that, that sort of procedure. Make your users aware of, of what they're doing. But the, the problem with the awareness side of things is that phishing attacks, and I'm sure you, you've seen them, we've all seen them, they can be reasonably unsophisticated. But if I send a thousand out, I know there's going to be 20, 30 people who are going to click on that, no matter how unsophisticated it is. They just will. And it might be because you're waiting for the classic package or you've, you've had theatre tickets waiting, or whatever it might be, but certain people will click on that. And you only need one or two, honestly. And so... You need to act on the basis that the data you've got, you know where it is, you've got it protected. And we, this is a lot of work we do, um, is finding data and protecting it. You've got to make sure that you've got that backup so that you could blow all that data, doesn't matter. You've still got validated backups you can, you can restore back to. That, that's key. The only thing, Chris, is you'd know now because you're dealing with it and this is your sector, this is your wheelhouse. A lot of companies aren't data aware. They're not prepared. So if my if I'm working for a company and, and I am a victim of a ransomware attack, do you recommend paying the ransom? It's, it's that classic question, isn't it? We, we don't. So, you know, if, if we're in a situation where we've, we, we get there and the, and the ransom has happened and they've got the data, you know, we would try to um, work with what we've got we would try to do those restores, try and get systems back up and running because there's one thing you can guarantee uh, in relation to the ransomware, uh, you will not get your data back unless they give it to you. Absolutely you won't, you, unless they give you the key because it's an encryption key. And the, only, the other thing you can be sure of is if you do pay the ransom, you will, you will be compromised again. So it really is a, a two-edged sword. Um, you know, some of the, the ransomware attackers, most of them, the good ones, you say the good ones, the professional ones, when they will encrypt your data with multiple keys, you know, they'll have 100 keys, and you will raise a ticket to their service desk, it's very professional, um, they will give you a key and you will say, yeah, that did work, that decryption did work. And so you can then work out whether or not you want to want to pay them or not. But this is our professional layer. They work like any other organisation, the sophisticated ones, any other organisation in terms of help desks and raising a ticket and emailing them. They respond. They're very responsive. You know, it's very all very professional, but it's essentially business ending. It's quite frightening when you, when you really get into it. I know this is what you deal with every day, but like. How, how can we protect our data, um, our personal data, particularly when, I mean, we've all done it. We've all given our personal details 
for a whole range of things. And really, it's isn't it now like trying to shut the gate after the horse has bolted? Very much so. If, if our data isn't breached already, boy, it, it, it's not far off, is it? So, you know, what, what I say myself is only give the data that you absolutely need to give and, and you need a reassurance that it's been deleted. Now, I've worked in organisations where they just maintain that data. You know, they, they'll just keep it. It's not safe. Um, and once it's breached, it's breached. You know, you, you, it's very expensive and, and costly in terms of time to restore, uh, to, to replace all those cards and licenses and so forth. But from a, you know, so you've got two angles to protect here. One is the, the information you're, you're, you're giving to organisations because they need it. And the other is what you do on your own computers and within your own systems. And that, that's where you can protect yourself to some degree. You know, and so you, you're keeping your, you, you know, your software up to date, your antivirus up to date. You're using really complex passwords. And I usually use a password manager myself, so I don't use the same password for everything. I use multiple passwords for all sorts of things. And I just have to remember the one of my password manager. That's, that's what I do. I use uh, uh, Passware. Um, and so that that's you know, protecting yourself personally. Within an organisation, if you're going for a home loan or something like that, they're going to ask for multiple documents and, you know, where is it kept? Who's got access to it? To do business, you need to give access to your staff to personal information. What are they doing with it? That's that's the, 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 uh, the key thing. And all I can hear is lawyers clapping their hands saying, where do we stand? As someone who's put in a home loan, as someone who's gone for a new job, how on earth? Where do my where are my rights, and how do I how do I legislate that? How do I ensure that the company has deleted those details? Because as you've said, that's something that often they're not doing. That's right, and and I think it's going to be by weight of regulation. So we've we've seen recently where where the breaches of privacy it's proposed to increase that from two point two million bucks up to fifty million dollars, and interestingly, the week of that that came out in the newspapers, we had eight requests for us to come and hey come and show us where our data is for, from various organizations financials and, and health and so forth great business for us Rochelle fantastic but not not terrific because mm. that's a sign that they may have not been doing enough to start with and so you know yeah we'll go ahead and, and help them with that um, but the, the thing we know without exception when we do a you know a data discovery exercise within an organization there's data everywhere without exception there's no organization is immune to it do you do you think we can beat this threat and i suppose in asking that it's kind of interesting because if we do then you're out of out of a job yeah and that's a good thing right if i'm out of that business that's a great thing um it's difficult you know there's we've we've you know uh, put things in place such as two-factor authentication so you put your password in you get the token as well those sorts of things so personally that's great for protecting you even though um, they have those things have been breached there are methods to breach those but it's it's a bit more rare within organizations i think the new fines are going to smarten people up you know it, it's a serious thing you know when you lose 9.7 million people's uh, details it, it's serious and causes lots of distress and and that distress goes on for years the risk goes on for years so you know i might my identity might be might be stolen it might be stolen now in two years time there's a home loan generated for me or something like that so it, it takes a long time but i think you know we we need to reflect on you know organizations that 
this is a serious thing. We, we've seen it in Europe, you know, with the uh, GDPR rules. We've seen it in the US with the US Federal Reserve rules. We've taken a little bit, as is common in, in Australia, in this part of the world, we take that little bit longer to, to realise, hey, this is really serious here. So we need good penalties and we need people to realise that, that there's ramifications. Probably need to give out a few jail sentences and et cetera, and that will actually start to be a deterrent. That, that'll smarten people up, absolutely. So, yeah, you know, look at it. And I think they're talking about some jail sentences for, for negligence. And, in fact, I saw a um, in the US a guy... A, a chief information security officer went to jail only a couple of weeks ago, not for the data breach, but because he hid it, and he, he he recently went to jail for a couple of years. So that sort of thing does make people think, oh wow, this is this is not just you know uh, lines on a page. On this is someone's information. I really need to be careful about it. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate you giving us some intel today about cybercrime. It continues to be rather frightening, I think, for a lot of us that, as I said, we've already given our data over and now we're sort of left wondering. So, look, thank you very much for sitting with me today on The Crime Couch. Thanks, Rochelle. It's been great. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson and I look forward to your company next time on The Crime Couch. Mm-hmm.